Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello and welcome to The Advice Show. I'm Nicola, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and I'm joined by my colleague, Zach Sharif, and Branko Bielobaba. Um, Branko is the former vice president of the CII. Uh, he was vice president between 2008 and 2014, and he is principal at Branko, a general insurance compliance consultancy. Hi, Branko. Thanks very much for joining us. Good morning. How are we all today? Good morning, Nicola. Good morning, Zach. Very good, thank you. Brilliant. It's it's great to have you, Branko. Um, I guess to start off, would you mind just yeah, I guess telling us a bit more about your background and your involvement and time at the CII. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I joined the insurance industry straight um, out of school in 1987, and then it was clear that to progress, you had to take uh, professional qualifications. So the Chartered Insurance Institute. There I started. Um, I took my exams, associateship, three years, two years later, fellowship. But I got involved with something then called the Luton and St Albans Insurance Institute, which is now Luton and Hertfordshire. And then I think we had probably over 80 local institutes and colleagues from uh, general insurance and financial services got together. But before the PFS, we had something called SOFA and we had sort of fragmentation in financial services. So when the PFS happened in 2004, two professional bodies came together. The CII sort of sets the syllabus, provides the tuition materials, enables advisors to become uh, qualified. And don't forget in financial advice, you have to be qualified level four minimum to give financial advice. So it's a mandatory requirement set by law. So you're an IFA, you have to be qualified to do your job and you have to be signed off annually as competent, which is where the CI and the PFS come into this in that you can study, you can be accredited and you're signed off as competent. So I've been a volunteer at my local institute since blimey, no, gosh, 1991. So um, coming up for what, 32 years, which, you know, I started 18. So it's, it's obvious that, you know, I've been involved for some time. But I, I, I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy listening to them. I enjoy educating general insurance people. I enjoy the networking. And then, you know, national, uh, as it were, you, I got a call, well, I got involved nationally on representative council, on the board. Um, I was asked to serve as vice president. I think I've spoken at all the CI's local institute dinners. So I enjoy what I do um, and, and I'm still here. So um, very much part and parcel now of the local CII. Absolutely. That sounds great. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, could you give us an overview sort of in your own words um, of the recent disputes um, between the CI and the PFS? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a sort of long story history, as I'm sure you'll go into, um, yeah. but it would be great to get um, to get your opinion on the matter. Yeah, what um, stuck out to you? And yeah. also potentially. Yeah, and this, potentially, to me. Yeah. Is, is a bit like a family tiff. This is like uh, an argument that's gone wrong at a Christmas dinner table many years ago, and no one wants to seem to sort it out. So it is a bit of a battle uh, royal now in that 
um, PFS colleagues seem to have been rubbed up badly by the CII. And I speak just as an observer. I am not uh, privy to anything uh, confidential. But what I see is, you know, a, a couple of years ago under the previous chief exec, Sean Fisher, uh, various changes were made. So Aldermanbury, the building that the CII had its City of London offices in, was sold. Um, um, that realised a lot of money. There's a pension scheme deficit, a legacy that goes back many, many uh, years. There are other issues in terms of you know who runs what, who earns the money. The PFS uh, seems to have built up a huge amount of money, I think about £20 million. Uh, whether that is available uh, to the group, because when it's reported on the balance sheet, it's reported as group consolidated funds. Um, and people are saying, and I've not looked at this in any deep, deep detail, that PFS is very rosy financially, but the CI has suffered through COVID financially, and it would appear that earnings are down on the CII side compared to the PFS side because CII people choose to be qualified. Uh, the employer asks them to be qualified, but it's not mandatory. You don't have to be qualified in general insurance to be a practitioner. But, you know, as I've said on the financial services side, you do. So you can't you, you can't um, practice w without a qualification. So um, PFS operates slightly differently to the CI in that we have now, I think, 55, 56 local institutes. I think from memory, there are 26 uh, PFS regions, again, run by volunteers. But PFS people get their CPD program provided by the centre and yeah. they just have to dip in, dip out. Um, it's provided for them, whereas the CI provides some stuff nationally. But locally, we local institutes receive a grant, an amount of money which covers um, our um, ability, provides money for us to provide training to uh, CI and PFS members in the local institutes. And it's whether we can engage with PFS colleagues who are already getting a lot of this straight away. But, you know, we, we had a, a, an Ambassadors in Action conference uh, last May in Birmingham and uh, PFS and CI people in the same room. And what, what became quickly obvious was that CI... PFS people didn't quite understand how each other worked but we sort of got in touch you know, Luton and Hertfordshire with our local PFS individual and he, he's now on board on our council which is like our running committee and we then better understand what the PFS has to do because we receive PFS money into the local institute too but another thing nationally is you know the CI decided they cited issues of corporate governance failures. So they, they, they wanted more CI people on the PFS board. And to me, that's sort of, you know, you're then able to control what goes on. It's a fait accompli because if there's six of you and five of them, well, you're going to win, win the vote every time. And to me, that look looked a little bit awkward. And if we go back to last October, I, together with uh, Grant Scott, also a previous vice president, we put forward um, a motion at the AGM of the CI just to air this, to see what had really happened, to conduct an independent review. But unfortunately, that didn't meet the criteria for AGMs at the time. Um, but now, you know, any 50, 50 members of the CII, the PFS member, you are a member of the CI, you can call for a special uh, general meeting, but it has to have the support of the engagement members on the board that represent 
um, bits of interest within the CII membership. So I don't know where that is. So to me, it's to do with finance, corporate governance, whether the two bodies can trust each other going forward because they have their own separate chief executives. And Alan Valance has been really working closely with the PFS, Doug, with the PFS chief exec. Uh, and to me, it's we should be really transparent and honest. PFS members should not be losing trust with a chartered body that's been around since 1897. But the way... Uh, individuals or whatever have behaved has clearly wound up colleagues uh, within the PFS. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's a really good point you made um, earlier on talking about the sort of, um, you know, the structure and history of the organisations that the CI ultimately holds chartered status um, uh, over over you know the PFS and people who want to be chartered in this country as a financial advisor, and I think we'll we can come back to that as um, a, as a as a systemic thing um, later on. But that was really interesting. Thank you for that um, detailed response. Um, I mean, obviously, as you you know, as you explored um, this. Uh, a major catalyst in the recent developments was um, the CII board appointments um, to the PFS. Do you think um, this was, and, and you mentioned there that you, it could seem quite awkward. Do you think that this was um, motivated or influenced by um by the financial disputes um, they're having. I mean, you know, the, the PFS 20 million, I understand, is technically a loan um, given in, given by the PFS. Um, so do you think that had any um, any sort of um, any bearing on the developments that we saw in the board? I think, Zach, you can take two views on this. Um, as a bystander, if you're going to fill the board with your appointees, you're only going to do that to ensure that the decisions are the decisions that you want to have. Um, I am not an accountant. I don't know how the 20 million chops up. Alan Valance did some um, uh, talks with local institutes uh, and members that were, wanted to attend a couple of weeks ago, and he made it clear, you know, that is not the CI's money. I don't know what sort of um, constraints are attached to that money, whether that money is available to the CI uh, as an entity or whether it's group money. I really don't know. So it would be best to ask someone directly at yeah. the PFS. But to me, it appears, you know, Worst case scenario, it would be a raid of cash to uh, to, uh, to augment the CI's finances. Um, but I don't know personally how that stacks up um, on the balance sheet. But to um, put CII appointees onto the board of the PFS to cite corporate governance failings, you know, I don't know if that's entirely fair and what the rationale and the evidence uh, behind that was uh, and one would hope it's all um, kosher as it were because that has created a massive furore amongst uh, PFS members because it would appear that you know a big brother is bullying you into making the decisions that a uh, big uh, brother wants. Um, Branko some of those concerns you mentioned um, you, you said that they sort of motivated you and another former president to um, try and call an EGM last year. I was just wondering, what what would you have hoped to sort of address um, and raise in that meeting? And what would you have hoped to, to, to sort of get from it? 
Yeah, Grant and I, and don't forget Grant also did this a year before, uh, we were calling for an independent review, sort of a warts and all analysis as to a number of key decisions that had been made in, the, say, the past three to five years that have led to this position. So, you know, is the CII financially stable? on its own? Um, what have we done to upset the PFS? What options are available uh, to the PFS going forward? Um, is a breakup uh, on the cards? Why did the PFS president resign her uh, position mid-term? These things have never happened before. So we were asking uh, the membership to vote for this independent review so that we can understand why previous decisions were made and why are we here now the ci should be open to uh, challenge from all stakeholders it must carry uh, carry the the faith and the support of the industry and the sector going forward the fact that we're spending a lot of time on this and not dealing with the issues that we should be dealing with in terms of consumer confidence in insurance and financial services especially during um, times of financial crisis and, and whatever you wish to call it you know to, to me we should be concentrating on other things so the agm motion would have enabled that to happen but it was a two-parter the first bit is do you want to discuss or air a motion before we even looked at what the motion was actually calling for and it's you know it was voting and unfortunately we didn't get the number of votes required and we fell at the first hurdle but now you know colleagues are calling for something similar um just to ensure that decisions going forward are being made for um the right reason Absolutely. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier, I think it was in Luton, you said um, that there was a meeting um, between PFS people and CRI people and, and that it, they, they That's right, that was Birmingham, Birmingham, sorry, Birmingham, yeah. getting my cities confused. Um, but um, you mentioned that it was it, it seemed slightly awkward in terms of people not seeing where each other came from. Do you think that this that spoke to sort of broader cultural issues of an insurance body and a financial services um, trade body? Well, um, I, I, I think it's when you, um, I, you know, CI and PFS, I think, came together in 2004. So um, it, it, the two bodies are different, but they should work well together. You know, we're, we're all people. We all enjoy networking. Um, general insurance people have financial services requirements. Financial services people have general insurance requirements. So uh, some practices and offices can work together on that. We're not completely different um and it was pfs not quite understanding how local institutes worked but ken you know we're very open within the ci to working with pfs colleagues and other professionals in the areas in which we operate because shared professionalism is a good thing and as i you know i speak a lot in schools and you know nothing moves without insurance you know everything has to have insurance in order for it to happen and financial advice you know we all should have a pension. Um, you may need life cover. So it may touch some people, but the financial advice sector is worth a huge amount of money. Uh, and the general insurance sector is worth a huge amount of money. We employ hundreds of thousands of people uh, within the UK. So there's nothing wrong with the two bodies coming together. So Birmingham was just colleagues getting together to, uh, you know, to discuss what we can do to help members going forward and for 
uh, both sides to understand where each other is um, coming from. But you know, CII locally are the ones that get the money to spend on members, be it CII or PFS. So the PFS needs to work with us in order for the money to be spent locally. But again, back to what I said at the start, if you're a PFS member, everything to do with CPD is arranged for you uh, nationally. So you don't really need to do much to keep your qualifications mm. uh, up to date. Some advisors have, have already kind of resigned their positions with the PFS. Do you see more of that happening? Yeah. And um, particularly, I suppose, as there are other bodies out there with which advisors can retain chartered status? Yeah, I, I, I'm very much a CRI person, so I, I, I don't really look at what others provide. But I, I know we have worldwide credibility. We've been around since 1897. Um, we're well established and we have a brand and a really important brand and I would hope that most people would understand that and work to resolve the issues that we have as long as there is agreement and goodwill on both sides and that people are not pulling up the the drawbridge uh, we need to understand what the problems are on both sides and they need to be aired and we need to uh, go forward but um, yeah you know pfs members can go to um, alternative bodies or, or even they could set up a new organization but all of that can't be done i dare say instantly especially with the, the latter if you want to go to a competitor body i don't know how your qualifications are transportable across to them uh, in that you've got ci pfs ones i don't know how others will regard those and whether they will give you parity i don't know what changes are required but if, if you were to set up a new organization um that, that can't be done instantly and don't forget the ci uh, reports into the the privy council and i don't know how people like that view what is going on um I, I can't imagine people outside the insurance and financial services sector are primarily have an interest in this bun fight but at the end of the day you know we need to um uh, ensure people are confident when they engage with the insurance and financial services sector and that, that they're, they're working with credible professionals um that are qualified that support qualifications that support professionalism um and that's what we're all about you know for me as a volunteer i make no money in supporting the cri yes i, I provide commercial training to local institutes but you know that that to me is a small part of what i do but all of this is down to professional um ethics and integrity in in which you know i um everything i do is that and therefore i would want colleagues to do the same and not sort of be um sort of looking at other stuff which is taking time out on this and i don't think it should be happening let's air what the issues are let's have some transparency here here are the facts and figures this is what the money's for this is what it can't be used for uh, these are the options available uh, and what do we do to restore faith and trust and um, friendship or colleagueship or whatever you want to call it so that going forward um, you know we've aired those issues we've turned a new yeah, page. Yeah you're, you're saying forming a new body wouldn't necessarily it's, it's one option but it wouldn't necessarily um, iron out existing issues in this kind of established system. Well it, it would in a way it would close those down but you, you'd then want to take what part of the money was yours uh, but how you then physically move that you know brand new body 
I don't know. You know that that money belongs to a, a, a limited company, which is part of a, an overall structure. Whether whether you know, a new body would would be entitled to that, I, I very much mm. um, doubt. Yeah, and of course, as you said, that structure is ultimately sound with the CI reporting. Very sound. Time, so. it's, it's tried and tested. There are glitches, there are issues with examinations. Uh, um, the CI has invested a massive amount of money in terms of new IT, which benefits CI and PFS members, which has cost a huge amount of money. PFS, you know, there's an ironing out how much services are provided by the CI that the PFS should pay for it is there are issues that need to be sorted in in a very sort of frank um way yeah um and and also i'd just like to i mean the risk of getting bogged down in detail um one of the contentious points um in this whole dispute was um you know a few years ago um the CII um, sort of attempting to deregister the PFS. Um, And that was a sort of plan that ultimately, um, you know, led to um, Keith Richards' resignation. Um, And and I think that's obviously, you know, a fear that um, PFS members have. um, uh, uh, And they would argue a legitimate fear that they have. Um, Could you you speak about about that as as any kind of remote possibility or if it's even on the remotely on the table? Personally speaking, I, I I don't know why, you know, when you get together with another organisation, unless there is a decision at the start, and this goes back almost 20 years, you know, why run two separate brands? So a decision must have been made at that time to have two separate legal entities, CRI and PFS, in a group structure, with the PFS continuing forward going forward as the brand for financial um, advisors so a decision must have been made to carry on as two separate legal entities and why then a decision was taken to try and close that legal entity down to me if you were if you were a a bit of a skeptic you could say well that was so that we can have their money and they have no control over anything going forward so at some time the CI and the PFS must have reviewed the decisions to go forward as two separate legal entities and constantly review them. And of course, then if you're a PFS member and suddenly you see the CII trying to um, um, remove, you know, to, to, to cancel your separate legal status, you are wondering, why is that being done? And without any transparency from the CII, you know, a sceptic, you know, I, I wouldn't be... Um, uh, against supporting the concerns the skeptic has it's like with the ci doing this it's like and sean fisher at the time it's like I, even i asked a question in some of the public meetings that we had it's like why is it being done and are we better together and it was sort of like the first part of the question wasn't answered and of course yes we're better together and then sarah lord was the president at the time of the pfs but i still can't understand what has to be gained um, if you deregister the pfs's uh, separate uh, legal status uh, without some sort of clear and transparent mm. disclosure. I mean, broad question, Branko, but do you think it's something that should have been discussed at all in the first place? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can't suddenly. Um... <laughs> as in, <laughs> we're taking your keys. We're taking. Yeah, no, sorry, I meant as in deregistration. Like, should it have been um, something that was put on the table as a possibility in the first place? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. This would have, um, Nicola, been saying that the, the, the bodies would have discussed at the outset. So whether it's a hostile takeover where, where their brand disappears or it's a merger where both brands continue mm. to trade 
as separate brand names within a group mm. structure. I don't know. I wasn't privy to that level of detail, but assuming both bodies are happy with what is happening, then yeah, I, ca I can't see a particular problem. But if you're a PFS member, all you're seeing is all these little bits that add up to quite a bit. And are, are you really comfortable with what's going on? And hence, uh, it's just basically got to the stage like we don't really, PFS colleagues, we don't really, we're not happy with what is going on. And, and therefore, whether they want um, a special general meeting, um, they want to um, jump ship, I don't know where we are. And the CI has tried its best to put out messaging, but and we've had meetings, but you know, we want specific people want specific answers to specific questions. A lot of debate on LinkedIn. You, if you're the PFS president, you know, the presidency of the CI or PFS is an incredibly honorable uh, professional position to yeah. hold. You're at the pinnacle of your professional body. Uh, and to resign it is just not done. You know, the last CI president, I don't, well, he sort of resigned, was Michael Bright um, 23 years ago when his insurance company failed and he was tried for fraud and, and served seven years, I think, in prison. So that's the only time, I think, in recent history that we've had someone resign their office. Yeah. Um, and um, you mentioned, you know, I think uh, at the start of this podcast, you mentioned that um, it's a, it's like a dispute at a family dinner. Yeah. Um, and, and when you see these organizations, you know, seemingly, um, seemingly disagreeing with each other about so many things that are quite fundamental, really, um, do you think that um, it is sensible or do you think we should reevaluate um, the CI holding chartered status? Because, I, I I'm speaking because I read an article um, by a financial planner. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of um, who I think had come over from a different country and was essentially just writing and saying that he was calling into question um, that um, organization of, of power, as it were, um, because in the country he'd come from, um, you didn't have to. Um, you didn't have to have your charter status tied to one single body um and you and therefore it was much easier to switch and change before a lot of pfs members would argue now that they they would like to they would like to depart from the ci but they can't because you know of the charter status yeah i I don't see you know, an advantage there in, in terms of transportability of chartered status. You know, you're a chartered accountant. Uh, there are two chartered bodies for accountants. You don't sort of sw switch and change. You, you know, the Chartered Insurance Institute, uh, um, you've sat the examinations, you're awarded your diploma, your chartered status. Um, you, you have to, in order to keep your post-nominal letters and, and receive the statement of professional standing for PFS, you, you have to be a member. So um, you choose whether you want to be a member of the CI, PFS, or someone else. If there is someone else able to offer you the, the parallel um, accreditation and status, I the CI has been around for, since 1897. So uh, we're a professional chartered body uh, very proud of where we've been yeah. um, and of course you will always get um, you know I've, I've been involved in the center since mid late 1990s and we've always had issues to discuss and air um, and we should be doing that the CI needs to appreciate the value of all stakeholders and not dismiss their efforts 
or challenges or interactions, which some may think um, has happened quite recently. The CI will be nowhere with its volunteers, but yeah. also volunteers would be nowhere without the CI and the PFS also in terms of what they do. But the CI did start from a very local footing in that local institutes predate the CII. So uh, whilst history shouldn't sort of be a uh, uh, millstone around our neck, it does certainly influence where we are now. It would be a very sad day for the CII not to appreciate fully the massive efforts uh, from volunteers and other stakeholders. Um, Franco, obviously the PFS are, you know, putting a lot of effort into sort of standing their ground and and um, remaining where they are as a as a body. Um, and you know, we, we recently found out that they they you know spent almost a million on legal and loan advice um, to to avoid the you know what some advisors have called called a coup, um, but to avoid what they mean is to avoid the the CII, um, you know, accessing um, some of their cash. Um, and I, I guess for the for the PFS members that are still standing and, and not happy about what has happened in recent months, you know, what what can those individual PFS members, what can you see them doing? And how can you see this playing out in terms of the PFS really trying to resist, um, you know, what they consider to be advances by the CII? If I was sitting at the CII in a senior executive mm. position, I would be wanting to work every day to resolve the matter. So chatting with the PFS executive, their board, um, allowing the more vociferous commentators to have their thoughts aired. Let's discuss everything. Uh, let's agree, you know, what are our red lines on both sides? Is there so much disagreement that we can't get together? Does this involve? Does this need to involve some sort of independent resolution, whereby someone from outside insurance and financial services comes together just to either knock heads together or, or just to understand what it is? Because a lot of PFS people don't trust a lot of CII people. It's obviously clear when you read the commentary on uh, LinkedIn. And for the uh, chairman of the CII board, Helen Phillips, to you know, for someone to cancel her invitation to a dinner that that's just you know i don't like i've never seen that happen before yeah. so it is it is um trust has to be restored but if at the same time if i don't know what the advice has been to the pfs having spent that huge amount of money um it, i don't know what the advice is saying to them so is this our money can we take it what can we do but don't forget the board is filled or has the majority of CII appointments the board itself you know will not be able to pass a resolution so I don't it appears to we'd be an on pass whereby um, if you wanted to take action I don't know what action you'd be able to take and yeah. don't forget for the CII, for the PFS to spend that sort of money it's it's like you're seriously not trusting your parent or, 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 or um, your fellow group company in respect of what you're being told and that to me really doesn't sit uh, well absolutely and, and as you mentioned um earlier you know there's um it's uh, a massive it's a, a monumental distraction from the challenges um yes uh, your financial yes. services faces yeah um at a time when you know there are so many other pressing matters um and one of the and also a financial drain i mean um it was the other day that we broke the news that um 
that the um that uh i believe eight hundred thousand pounds has been spent by the pfs um consult on legal advice um regarding cii loans um and that's you know not just time but obviously resources spent to that um and just going back to the just going back on the accounts point for for a moment um because I believe you um, wrote as part of um, as part of the as part of an AGM last year um, for an item of special business, um, looking in calling for an auditor of the accounts and management at the CII. Could you just elaborate a little for me just on um, why this was why this was requested um, and what you thought what you spotted that wasn't potentially you know all in order in the CII? No, accounts? I'm not an accountant. I, I was just after some independent analysis on you know explain this to us. Um, yeah. Who owns the money? Who generated the money? What can the money be used for? Um, can the CII use the money? Does the CI need the money? Where would the CI be current financial position without that on the group balance sheet? Of course, the CI, Alan Valance made this point um, in discussions a couple of weeks ago. The CI is audited um, and accounts are prepared in the normal way, but it's just to get some um, transparent understanding in respect of that money. And going forward, you know, who earns what? Uh, who has to pay what to what? Um, what benefits we get for that money? What's it going to cost us? How much the CI has spent? Because there's a lot of concern. The CI, I think, had a, a huge amount of money in the um, accounts um, sort of three to five years ago. And that seems to have dwindled down to very, very little indeed. So just to understand, yeah, where's it gone? Has the new IT system cost that much? I realise that there was a, a huge amount required to uh, move the pension uh, the the final sort of salary thing that we used to have into legal in general that would have cost a lot of money, but just to understand where this money has gone. So accounts are always summary at the highest level possible, and it's just to drill down further for everyone to understand. I'm not no one's alleging mispropriety at all, but what we just say is where where did that money go from? We had millions and millions um, in the accounts. A few years ago, it's like, where's it gone? I, you know, I don't understand if an IT system costs that much. We have moved twice. The, the CI building was sold and we moved into Lombard Street. And now we're um, uh, in another building and it's like Fenchurch Street. And it's like, that must cost money. And we're sharing with yeah. another body at the moment. That must cost money. Um, so it's just understanding those sorts of things so that we can be assured that people are making the right decisions on our behalf. Yeah, and 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 on that, you know, um, uh, the CI, um, you know, denied that at the time, um, and it was cited that a notice period was was the reason why it wasn't given enough notice. Um, I, I wanted to ask what your thoughts are on on pushing for for all of those accounts, and also the the claim that a from a PFS member um, that um, Evelyn ordered orders from Evelyn Partners told the PFS that there was a significant risk that the CI would fail to repay. Um, alone and um, whether that would whether that speaks to the sort of um, to the sort of char- uncharted waters that we we're treading here in terms of you know looking at the accounts and not really as you said you know not really knowing where money's gone yeah if um, if the CI requires PFS money to stay afloat um, it, it, can that be done um, is right. that money the the 20 million I think surplus that the PFS um, have generated is that accessible to the ci and on what terms yeah um and does the ci really need that to stay afloat and if it didn't receive it is external funding 
possible from uh, other organizations. I don't know what collateral we have now. I don't know how much cash we have in the bank. Um, it is just to understand our solvency going forward um, and for us to be aware of what our membership body is doing on our behalf. So it's been, you know, local institutes that start a COVID gave up a lot of money to help up the CII. And, and we, we, you know, we, we naturally hope that that was done for the right reason. If the CII now wants to, as it were, do a cash raid on PFS, you know, well, just tell everyone that that's the case. Yeah. Um, why and what then happens? And then back to the earlier comments. Well, you know, if the PFS board is full of CII people or has a majority, then obviously voting becomes easier for decisions of that nature. But if you're a local PFS member and you're suddenly sitting there thinking, hold a minute, is that PFS money? Um, yeah. We've helped generate this money. Um, why does the PFS, why does the CII need it? And, and what are the ramifications for both bodies regarding money so a bit of transparency on that in really clear unambiguous terminology i think would help people um you know yeah. with this. and and you know and the the ramifications for for members as well who of course pay for pay for their for um for their membership um you know from a personal perspective i imagine that they're, they're quite interested to know as well which, you know, we all have a vested interest. We're, we're, this is, we're all stakeholders. This is our professional body, uh, and, and we pay into the professional mm -hmm. body, and we get certain benefits for that. But we want to make sure that the stewardship of the professional body is in good hands. Absolutely, yeah. And I just wanted to, um, sort of going back quite a bit, but I just wanted to clarify um, for the podcast. Um, you know, earlier when we were talking about um, the the the, his the recent history, very recent history of the PFS and CII, um, you know, what do you think of those claims um, of significant governance failings by the CII? Because that was, you know, I think that's a that's quite a marker because that was the that was the justification for appointing so many, you know, um, CII board members to well, PFS. You know, if you if you've been able to continually provide qualifications and accreditation and everything else and you've uh, accumulated a huge amount of money uh, that to me suggests pretty good stewardship um, so I'm not entirely privy as to what the corporate governance failings were and don't forget there were CI people already on the board beforehand so um you know what were they noting uh, what challenge was there the board is there to challenge the executive of the pfs and with the president of the pfs having an important role on that particular board so a lot of um yep. um intelligent uh, noteworthy people have occupied that particular role and therefore what, what is the ci saying in terms of what corporate governance failings have there been? Why weren't they spotted earlier? Um, and to me, uh, you know, whether it requires a corporate governance review by an external independent organisation to actually understand what's going on, where decisions have been made badly, or you know, there's a CI saying decisions haven't really been made in our favour, in our favour, and we think we're a bit upset with this. We spoke about about. Um uh potential i mean there's kind of allegations on both sides here um but we spoke about um 
the potential of a, a sort of cultural difference between CI and PFS, which, you know, um, you helpfully said was probably not a case. And, you know, we're all people, we all love networking, they all work with each other and have to know about each other's business as well. PFS members have to be qualified. Yeah. And they they have to be annually signed off, regulator requirements. So that is a big cultural difference to general insurance people that don't have to be qualified. No one has to sign off their competence. Yeah. Um, general insurance brokers still earn commission, uh, a percentage slice on the product that they've sold uh, from the insurer. So there is a big cultural difference there. And the CI you know, wants to ensure that both GI and financial services are have parity. But at the moment, it's like this, PFS here and GI here. Because yeah. GI people don't have to be qualified. Yet the advice that they're giving... Uh, to corporate clients and individuals is, is significant and not to be professionally qualified i think is 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 not good uh, yeah. it really it sends the wrong message but only um the, only the regulator can, can impose professional qualifications yeah um and, and the you know 15 hours cpd requirement under something called the insurance distribution directive is not much it's just over yeah. an hour a month whereas financial services people may th- almost laugh and think well, they don't have to be professionally qualified yeah there's competence signed off yeah, uh, it's like there is a cultural difference, but when it comes to coexisting, there's not much of a culture shift there. Yeah, in that we all choose to get involved to support our members uh, locally and nationally. So there's no like hierarchical CI and he's PFS. That 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 doesn't happen. Yeah, but we do need to always work closer together. So the annual event that we had in uh, may last year ambassadors in action we need to carry that on we need to have um close working relationship between both bits nationally and locally and people need to come together um to enable that to happen absolutely absolutely um that sounds Branko. thank you so much that sounds like a great note to end on Branko. it's been brilliant to have you and hear your perspective both as um an onlooker as you as you said but also as somebody who has who has history working um in and with these organizations so thank you very very much um for your time today it's been been brilliant to chat to you and thank you very much everyone for listening um if you'd like to get in contact with any kind of questions or comments about this episode um you can email zachary i'm at nblackburn at citywire.co.uk zach is z sharif at citywire.co.uk or feel free to reach out on twitter we're at new model advisor um and thank you very much again for listening everyone thank you so much branco thank you for uh, allowing me to take part Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.